They're like, so why is a bra difficult to put on? And to me, it's like, have you ever seen a hook and eye on the back of a bra? Hey everyone, this is Rick and welcome back to the Seed the Startup Journey, the entrepreneurship podcast sharing the origin stories of amazing founders and the companies in under 20 minutes. Today, I'll be chatting with Emma Butler, a recent graduate of Brown University, and she is building intimately a Forbes Next 1000 startup that is starting an inclusive revolution by selling functional and fashionable lingerie for women with disabilities. Hey Emma, thank you so much for coming on today. When I came across your startup intimately, I knew I had to bring it on because I feel like a lot of the hot startups we see these days are always AI this, blockchain that. But for you, you're solving a problem that I think is super overlooked, right? It's fashion and apparel for people with disabilities. So how did you come up with this idea? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And that's a really good question. Um, well, it all started about 10 years ago when my mom was first diagnosed with a few different chronic illnesses, which left her with new functionality and she needed to look for new clothing. And at the time um, she searched words like disability clothing or Velcro clothing or elderly clothing. And now 10 years later, it's coined adaptive clothing or adaptive apparel is the word for um, clothing for folks with disabilities. But the only clothing she could find was really ugly and medical grade clothing. And as a young woman in her forties, it was really dehumanizing. And I watched her confidence plummet. And when I went to Brown, I met other women where I did my undergrad. I met other women with the same disability as my mom and other disabilities. And as young women do, we talked about what we're going to wear to class the next day, to a party in the weekend. And I realized they had the same problems searching for clothes and getting dressed my mom had. And I thought, Hi, there's 600 million women worldwide that have some sort of disability that affects the way they dress. There must be a better solution. And if there's not, I'm going to be the one to do it. I had also always been interested in fashion. I went to Brown to study visual arts and was close to RISD. And um, so I kind of combined my love for fashion and fashion design, but I wasn't an expert in it. And um, my love for my friends and my mom. Mm -hmm. I love the attitude of like, I'm going to be the one to do it. Um, so I know that a lot of my listeners have ideas and I also had a few ideas before, but something that we probably don't know how to do is like, what's the next step after coming up with that idea? So for you, what was that next step? Yeah. So I, you know, at Brown, I, you don't have to take any business classes. It's open curriculum. So I had never taken a business class. I didn't know what a business model was. I didn't know entrepreneurship started with an E. I thought it started with an O. <laughs> I was really like the last person to start a business. Um, but I was really determined because I knew that this had to be done. And I knew that it could really revolutionize the way these 600 million women thought about themselves and the, their ability to get dressed and desirability and um, making the world more inclusive. And so I literally just went to Brown's library and picked up every single book that I could on how to start a startup from The Art of the Start, uh, The Lean Startup, Seth Godin's books, Zero to One, everything. I just read everything I could get my hands on. And those books really taught me the a lot of what to do, even, I think it was the art of the start that was like, what's the name? What's the value proposition? All those other things. And then my first step was just to build a website and talk to customers. I did over 200 interviews. I kind of got a closer idea of what I exactly wanted to do and how I could exactly help. My first advice to anybody trying to start a business is just to build your website and then build a um, preliminary executive summary or a business plan and just kind of get the dots on the map and so see where you could go and where what could happen who are the key players that you need to think of 
Um, what's your revenue model? And just keep thinking. And then when it's on the paper or you type it up, then it starts to become more real. And then you want to make your MVP or do product testing and all those things. Yeah. And this is actually a question for my audience, but I think it, it fits pretty well here, which is like, was there a moment for you when you were like, okay, I know this will work. Like, I know you talk to customers. Is that kind of where you got your idea validation from? Yes. I knew that women with disabilities wanted this. And I knew that there was a product market fit. The, the hesitance wasn't um, in the product market fit or anything like that. It was, I didn't know if I was going to be the one to be able to make the technology. And I didn't know if investors, because a lot of like my male professors at Brown and my male male investors that I spoke with didn't get the idea. Why, why can't all these pieces fit together? And so I think the first moment was when I was in Forbes, when Forbes reached out, they, and that was before we did our Kickstarter and everything. And they wrote a piece about seven uh, founders in the adaptive apparel space making change or something. I was like, okay, that's definitely validating. You know, that's amazing. And then when I got the Kickstarter, um, the $20,000 for the Kickstarter, and then I won a few prize competitions and Sometimes, even though I hear every day from these women with disabilities, like, oh my God, I've never seen representation like this, or this is amazing. I've never felt so beautiful or included. It's hard. It's a struggle, but winning the pitch competitions with Tim Draper was one of the judges. Um, it gives external validation that this can go really big and I can get the means to do it. Mm -hmm. So I, I love the problem that you're solving, but kind of, as you mentioned, personally, as someone who is male and without disabilities, it's kind of hard for me to relate. So I can imagine that it's probably the same way when you're trying to get investors on board. Um, so how, how have you been able to navigate these kind of challenges? Our first product is lingerie. And so mm -hmm. we start with bras and underwear, which are the most foreign to men, because those are the most difficult garments to get on. Bras are so difficult, but um, I really need the investors to understand what we're working on now, this bra and intimate piece. And I usually crack a joke and I'm like, so have you, are you familiar with bras at all? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, if in case you're not, uh, they're really difficult. I don't know if you've ever taken one off or, or put one on yourself. And then they usually loosen up a little bit, which is nice. Um, but, and sometimes I feel that the male investors are a little bit weary and don't want to ask some of the hard questions. And then other times, they just ask really stupid questions, but I'm glad they're asking questions. They're like, so why is a bra difficult to put on? And to me, it's like, have you ever seen a hook and eye on the back of a bra? You can't do it with one hand. You have to have full dexterity and mobility. You not only have to do the pinching motion, align it and pull it together. And then you have to twist it around because it's in the back. It's not even in the front, um, you know, and so. Yeah, I have to, I've been practicing my patience. <laughs> mm -hmm. For sure. No, and I know that you went through Y Combinator as the marketing lead for Action Desk in 2019, I believe. So yes. how, how do you think that experience affected the founding of Intimately? Absolutely. So I was the marketing director, as I like to say, but I was really just an intern, but it was a four person team and everybody else was um, a developer and I was the only marketing person. So I did everything, customer success, marketing, mm. everything. And so I had already had the idea for Intimately the summer before, taking my entrepreneurship class. And so I had a little bit of a knowledge, but I didn't really understand uh, what it was like being in a high growth accelerator, or I didn't really understand VC capital. I didn't understand safes. I didn't understand series A. I didn't understand any of that. And um, the pressure it takes to grow and grow quickly and stay lean. Before going through YC, I kind of had the impression that Intimately could be a great boutique. We could just sell adaptive clothing. And then after YC, 
I was like, no, we're not going to be just another clothing boutique. We're going to make an entire inclusive revolution and change the way that people think about adaptive clothing and clothing in general, changing fasteners, patenting technology, partnering with huge carpet sponsorships. And um, I think without YC, I wasn't able to think big enough. Mm-hmm. And I also learned the importance of growing really fast. I learned a lot about how to run a business too, because I worked so closely with the CEO. We, you know, that's when I was two years ago was when I was introduced to Notion. Now Notion is my best friend, how to run team meetings, how often to run team meetings, what you expect out of interns and employees. And so I learned a lot. For sure. And are you thinking of applying to YC as well? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Right now I'm in an incubator in Paris where I am currently mm-hmm. located. And that's been extremely helpful. And I wanted to be in Paris for a few different reasons, but there's actually no bra manufacturers in the States that do the type of bra that we're producing. So I had to go abroad and Paris is the center of fashion and lingerie and lace and they have their big intimates. And so I wanted to be in the hub for Paris. And then there was also this great accelerator at the world's largest startup campus under one roof. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And so I know that starting a company is, is hard, right? Like it could be very stressful at times. And part of the focus of my podcast for the next few episodes is on mental health. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, your experience with stress and anxiety as a startup founder. Absolutely. I think that everybody told me being a solo founder is going to be really hard. And it's not the amount of work. I can do that. I was an undergraduate of Brown and started my startup and doing X, Y, and Z double majoring. It's not the amount of work that is hard. It's the being in it alone. And mm-hmm. which way do I create the company? Which way do I do it? Do I do this? And especially with my company where it's not just another B2B SaaS company, you know, lives are affected and I really want to make real change in these women's lives. So I feel a lot of pressure to do things right and make sure that I really understand the customer all the diversity in the 600 million women out there. And I don't, going through it alone has been hard. And there's no one that really understands the market the way in my friend group, the way I do, you know, my mom can have her own personal experiences um, and my friends too, but you know, it's a whole nother ball game when it comes to how much do I raise? I'm talking to this investor. Do I do it in the form of a safe? Do, you know, all these other things and, uh, okay, the production line is going behind schedule. Uh, What are we going to do here? This intern doesn't want to do this and X, Y, and Z. And it's a lonely battle. I definitely decompress by taking long walks along the Seine. Um, I journal. I light my candles at night. I am a huge fan of watching thrillers and murder mysteries, like the French files, and gets my mind completely off intimately, which is for at least two hours or when I watch it. And uh, that's definitely how I decompress, but long walks along the sun, not think about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't like thrillers just make you more stressed? <laughs> no, I, I no. Surprisingly, uh, intimately is more stressful than the thrillers. <laughs> wow. Interesting. So it was the decision of like founding this company alone. Like, is that what you wanted to do in the first place? Um, like, have you thought about looking for co-founders, things like that? Yeah, I uh, or I was originally working at Brown with two other women. I work really hard and I get frustrated when people don't keep up with my pace. Mm-hmm. And I am really creative and I have a vision and I'm stubborn, like a major alpha type A woman. And I think that at the beginning, I just was frustrated that these women who were interested in this project really couldn't keep up to my pace. And I thought, I'm going to do this by myself. Um, I want full creative reign. 
I think I can do fashion function better than anybody I've met at Brown. No one else is as passionate about me. I, if I'm going to have a co-founder, it's going to, it's going to be like a marriage and I don't know anybody. Now I have people in my network in part from YC and Station F or through Brown, mostly through Brown, who I really trust and would really want or team members who I would want to come out as like a late stage late stage co-founder. I just knew that the best way for me to get it done was not to be accountable to anybody and just go, go, go and um, not be held back. And do you have any sort of productivity hacks or, you know, time management tips? I am a big sleeper. I go to bed at 9.30 and I wake up at seven and then I take a two hour nap. So I have to manage my time well because sleep is the most important thing in my life. And I love to nap. I do an hour by hour cutout of my day on Notion and I live by that. And every Sunday I do my entire week on Notion, what I'm going to have to eat, what time I'm going to get up, X, Y, and Z, what time I'm going to nap, schedule all my naps. Notion has been my best friend and my mm-hmm. productivity hack. <laughs> yeah. No, so uh, it's actually really interesting because a few other episodes ago, I was interviewing a guy who basically slept like three hours a day. So it's I, I don't get how he functions, um, but for me, like sleep is definitely super important as well. I never had that issue with time management the way that my friends did in high school. I went to bed really early. I never pulled an all night in college. Mm-hmm. Even if I had a crazy paper, somehow I can just work fast, which is a blessing. I can't read yeah. fast, but I can work fast. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So do you have any advice for someone like me who is still a student, but I'm interested in entrepreneurship and might want to start my own thing in the future? My advice would be to solve a real problem. I feel like there's so many startups out there that people are just doing to become entrepreneurships or they're interested in business. We don't need another business that doesn't solve anything. And it doesn't have to be majorly socially impact, although I think that that's a really great way to um, start a business and change people's lives. But um, there's got to be a real problem. And that would be my biggest tip. And also to think really big that we don't have to have, uh, small businesses are great, but um, one of the cool things about entrepreneurships and startups is that you have the ability to scale. And so I think that when we're college students, we think about, oh, like this startup could benefit people on the college campus. You know, like these people on the college campus are having this problem. I could solve it. There, The world is huge. You're about to go out into the world. Like I just did. I just graduated in May. Life is bigger than your college street. Would you recommend starting you know, like as early as possible, because I, I know some students are thinking of getting some more experience first before, you know, launching their own startup. I think you can do both. I think you can build out an MVP and then to also work a full-time job. And that's what I did with Action Desk. Everything I was learning at Action Desk about SEO and marketing and PR and everything, I kept in a journal and I wrote down and then Sometimes on Sundays, because that was my only day off, we worked from like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., six days a week. Uh, I would work on intimately and I would redo the branding. I would redo this. And if I can do it with two hours of naps every day and getting like 10 hours of sleep, anybody can do it. So I would say do do it both. You don't have to launch Mm -hmm. full time and go full time into your startup, but just start the beginnings of an MVP. Gotcha. So to kind of wrap things up, I prepared a little game. It's called underrated or overrated. So the first one, TikTok. Underrated. I love TikTok. Are you like very active on it or? No, I just really love the puppy videos. I, I don't even know if I'm on the right stream of TikTok, but just the, the <laughs> constant stream of t- puppy videos and cool places to go in Paris. That's like my TikTok right now. Mm-hmm. And lots of disability activism, like perfect puppies, disability mm-hmm. advocacy and Paris. 
I'm all set for life. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Next one, pineapples on pizza. Overrated, I guess. No, no, no pineapples on pizza. Audiobooks. Overrated. My favorite is when that somebody reads to me. I make my sister, I have an identical twin sister, and I'm like, this is an amazing book. Read it to me. <laughs> and uh, that's the best version of the audiobook. <laughs> I, my favorite thing to do is have a glass of wine and read a book, and that's what I did in college a lot. Um, or when I'm walking around Paris, do audiobooks. But I really love, I grew up and my dad read to me every single night and mm. growing up. And there's just something really special about when someone else reads to you. And it doesn't have to be the children's books that he read. It can be like Ray Dalio's principles <laughs> like my sister reads to me. Um, and I can just relax and sit there. And it's my sister's company voice and her presence and um, and listen. That sounds like a power move. Like, hey, you know, sister, <laughs> read this to me while I sip wine. Um, yeah, you get cool. a little out of it too. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. And then this next one, the Ivy League. Overrated, I guess. Or I don't know. The Ivy, Being at Brown changed my life. You know, it meant a lot to my dad who grew up when he was homeless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he dropped out of high school. And, and to see that both his daughters went to an Ivy League meant a lot to him and the connections that I've made since and being able to drop Brown's name and the people I've met and the competitions I've won and the investors I've met because of it has been really special. But I don't like when, even though sometimes I do it, I don't like when people talk about it in the snobby way. Got it. This is the last question, which is what is the best advice that you've ever received? My dad used to say, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And I think that's wrong. I think that I work I love what I do, but I work really freaking hard. Keeping in mind that you will have to work hard at something you love, but if there's people that you're benefiting on the other end, it's worth it. Awesome. That's it for today's interview. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. What great questions and, and thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. That was under 20 minutes, but if you'd like to hear my takeaways from chatting with Emma, stick around. Emma was studying visual arts and she had no business knowledge. How did she manage to start intimately? Well, she was very determined and went to the library to read every book she could find on startups. The Art of the Start, Lean Startup, Zero to One, she was reading everything she could find. And that just goes to show that you don't have to be a business major to learn how to start a company. On mental health and dealing with stress, Emma likes to take long walks on the beach, light a candle and journal, but most importantly, she loves to watch thriller movies. I found it funny that for Emma, intimately is more stressful than watching people get murdered. But I guess that's just part of being a startup founder. Finally, Emma's advice to anyone interested in startups is to solve a real problem. We don't need another business that doesn't solve anything. You don't have to be a social entrepreneur, but if you want to create an impact, make sure your solution actually solves a real problem. That's it for the takeaways. This week's startup droplet is submitted by Shaker from Cupertino, California. He is building Orbit, which is a personal relationship assistant that enables professionals to more meaningfully engage with the most valuable connections in their network. If you also have an idea you're working on, or if you came across a startup that was super cool, make sure to message us on Instagram, or we'll be sure to feature that on our next startup droplet. That's it for today's episode. My only request of you is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. I found ratings to be one of the most important ways for a podcast to grow and be discovered. So if you could just take less than 30 seconds to leave a rating, that would mean the world to me. 
With that, let's grow our seed of innovation and creativity together, and I'll see you next time.